Hello and welcome to the Business Behind Sport podcast series for Ankura, the global expert services and advisory firm. I'm Rich Patel, a director in the Risk, Forensics and Compliance team at Ankura. In this series, my colleague John Brown, Senior Managing Director and the Head of the Risk, Forensics and Compliance Practice in the UK, will be talking to industry leaders to explore their perspectives and insights on a variety of current topics and themes relating to the business side of sport. In this episode, John is joined by Jack Withenshaw, co-founder and chief commercial officer of Airspeeder, the premium electric VTOL flying car racing series. They speak about how Airspeeder has brought an exciting and innovative concept to reality, as well as the expectations and challenges experienced when creating a new sport in the 21st century. So Jack, firstly, thanks for joining us today on the Ankara podcast. Um, you're the chief commercial officer and co-founder for Airspeeder, which we'll talk about in a second. But First of all, could you just talk us through your background? Absolutely. So I'm Jack Withenshaw, Chief Commercial Officer and uh, co-founder here at Airspeeder. My background's always been in media, sales and and startups uh, across uh, Australia and the UK. Um, And at the moment, uh, I'm responsible for all things relating to Airspeeder as a sport. This is everything across sponsorship, relationship, partnerships, locations, teams, media as a product. Uh, So really... This, this new sport that is airspeeder and flying car racing. Great. So what is airspeeder? What, what is your role specifically? So airspeeder is the premier flying car race series. It's uh, effectively a, a premium EV toll uh, motorsport. Now, EV toll is a very unsexy word for uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Um, I guess to put it a little bit more colloquially, Flying cars or giant drones that pilots can fly and race uh, in exotic locations all around the world. My role as Chief Commercial Officer is to bring this sport to life through sponsorships, partnerships, locations, teams, and uh, and effectively deliver this new sport to uh, to audiences globally. Fantastic. And how did the concept come about? So flying cars isn't, isn't a new idea. Uh, something we've had... Uh, in, our, in science fiction, really, for uh, come close to 100 years now. Uh, we've seen it in the Jetsons, we've seen it in Star Wars, we've seen it in Back to the Future, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, it's never really been uh, questioned as to if this was going to become a reality, it was only when. So we can't claim to have come up with the idea of flying cars, but flying car racing is a little bit more of a, a logical conclusion that we came to. So my co-founder, Matt Pearson, he looked back uh, into how other mobility revolutions have started. And we saw the uh, precedent in uh, the automotive industry with the rise of uh, the, the car and the role that motor, motor racing played in accelerating technology and public acceptance and safety uh, for that mobility revolution. Now, it's the same for the aviation industry. We looked at things like the Schneider Trophy, an amazing sea place that seaplane race that took place in Monaco in 1913, just two years after the seaplane was invented. And that single-handedly turbocharged uh, the public acceptance for, for aviation and, uh, and drove those planes from you know, 35 years of racing from 40 miles an hour to, to 400. So the role of racing at the beginning of any mobility revolution has, has always been there. What we've done is simply seen the rise of flying cars uh, the potential that we've seen from um, electric vehicles and, and uh, industrial drones and merge that with the idea that uh, if we're going to build these things, we're inevitably going to race them and racing will drive the tech as it has it previously. So 
Yeah, it's uh, well, it sounds a bit bonkers uh, when we say it for the first time to somebody that we bring flying car racing to life. Uh, it's actually a really pragmatic solution to how to, to start a new university revolution. So I get the concept. So how did you move from initial concept to reality? It's a, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a long journey, but it's really broken down into a collective of incremental milestones. And those milestones really are, each of them should be just from a, a proof point, learn from that proof point and advance on to the next one. And we've broken those milestones down to various different formats across the sport and across um, across the technology as well. Um, and so if you look at things like the product, the speeders themselves, uh, we've grown them from the Mark One, which was a one-third scale um, electric motor multicopter, all the way to the Mark Four, where we're now experimenting with crude or, or manned craft um, that are four and a half meters long, capable of going 140 kilometers an hour. Um, but to get there, we had to just do that in steps um, and, and keep them achievable as well. So that's the speeders. In terms of markets, um, for us, we've really been about growing our fans and audience base, uh, engaging with them to, to understand what content they want to see and, and what they want to engage in, uh, trying new formats and now seeing a lot of success with over 100,000 subscribers across our channels. And the last one's customers, slowly growing those that customer base and, and growing with our sponsors, uh, bring them into to multi-year deals, starting to engage with location partners, uh, into the journey and now just starting those conversations with different teams. So it's very hard to go from nothing to a complete flying car race series. Uh, but I've, well, we've found that breaking it down to those incremental milestones, those proof points and the ability to be able to move on to the next one with the backing of investors as well has been uh, a key to success. And how does the structure of, of the racing work? I've, I've heard the, the use of the term Formula One for the air. So. Did you say that there are there are teams involved, or is it individuals racing? Yeah, it's uh, this is a motorsport uh, first and foremost. We see it as the next generation of motorsport, but it it is a motorsport because it's a platform that enables um, OEMs and uh, and manufacturers to invest into the team slot, drive the technology, and hopefully drive their own EV toll or vertical uh, ambitions in the same way. Uh, as Formula One has done on the ground uh, for coming up to 100 years or so. So um, for us, yeah, this is this is a, a motorsport. It's uh, it's premium in the same nature as, as Formula One. You can tell that by the the types of sponsors that we've been able to attract. Big names like DHL, RWC, Shavahas, and uh, Nvidia, and Telstra, and a bunch of others. But in terms of the formats, uh, we would love to be able to jump into a full grid, just like Formula One, where you've got 20 vehicles, 10 teams, but we're going the other way. We're going to start small. So I start with a few teams for the first race series for next year, teams from different backgrounds. Uh, it's likely that the teams will represent national slots, which is quite exciting. So a bit of national pride on the line and, uh, and slowly grow the grid up from there. But in terms of the format for the race, uh, things you can expect, uh, Tight turns, close combat racing, most uh, multiple vehicles all on the track at the same time, and uh, even things like pit stops where we're able to swap the batteries out and put new batteries in so we can uh, continue our racing. It sounds like an incredibly ambitious project. Um, what are your ambitions for the sport? We're never short of puns in Airspeeder, so I think the sky's the limit is, is fair to say. But we, we, we see this as a global motorsport and we have a bold ambition that it becomes the leading motorsport in the future. It isn't 
this isn't a new form of air racing. It is is very much a motorsport, um, and the reason is that it offers those teams the ability to be able to drive that technology and drive a new mobility revolution. Uh, and we think it's got a much wider public appeal in terms of the types of racing that we can uh, we can do. Secondly, our ambitions are global. This isn't while we're building the vehicles in Australia and uh, are racing, or at least test racing in Australia, we want to take that uh, worldwide. And so we've already seen a large audience pool from the US and we want to take this into other parts of Asia and Middle East. And uh, in the same way we're growing the team slots, also grow the, the locations as well. So each year, introduce a new team and a new location to be able to start racing in. Okay. And then could the, could the sport be a testing ground for new technologies? I guess that's inevitable. That's uh, one of the main reasons what we're what we're doing here. Our, our big ambitions uh, for the sport is to to grow industry, uh, to drive um, aerial sustainability or clean air mobility, uh, and also to drive inclusivity in both aerospace and and motorsports, which have some phenomenally bad stats. And these are the kind of expectations of what you're meant to do when you have to build a new sport. You've got a blank sheet of paper. You have to build it to 21st century expectations. So we we will fulfill those obligations by uh, trying to make this the, the coolest, cleanest new sport that allows uh, for a new mobility revolution to take place. So when it comes to testing new technologies, uh, yeah, when you look at the vehicle themselves, the, the, the Mark III is a four and a half meter long EV toll. And it's designed to be able to push this technology to its limit so that we or the industry can learn about its capabilities not just from a technology standpoint, but also from a safety standpoint as well. We're big believers in this new mobility revolution needing a space and a place to be able to to drive, develop, crash, learn, uh, and in doing so kind of accelerate the iteration cycle and development of the, uh, of the industry. It's also very easy to kind of focus just on the vehicle, but there's so much more taking place than the, the speeder itself. If you think about what is keeping these speeders in the air you've got vehicle to vehicle communication hyperfast charging data networks uh geocaging geofencing uh there's there's a whole bunch uh of technology that's required not only to keep our race series alive and the vehicles in it safe to, to be able to keep racing um but also these are the same technologies that will underpin the mobility the cities of the future when we have flying cars uh over them so our races aren't just a testbed for our technologies, but it's a testbed for the industry's technologies to be able to prepare for a, uh, for this new mobility revolution. So they're effectively a microcosm of the city of the future. And I, I imagine this doesn't come cheap. So you, you spoke briefly about sponsors before, but perhaps if you could talk through how you've managed to attract funding, how you've managed to attract sponsors to the sport. Absolutely. So there's two sides to, to Airspeeder. We've got Airspeeder Sport, uh, and we've also got Alauda, uh, the manufacturer behind um, behind Airspeeder. And we realized quite quickly that we couldn't have a sport without vehicles that could race in them, and we couldn't have vehicles that could race without a sport to be able to, to carry it forward. Now, the opportunity to be able to have a, a technology play as well as a media or a sports play is, is enticing for um, for investors. So the while a little bit of a headache having kind of a split purpose, uh, they do feed into each other very well, and and the investors like that. They're quite attracted to uh, not only having a mobility play, but also also a sport one uh, as well. How we've been able to attract them? Well, I think firstly, foremost, it's one 
very cool idea, flying car racing. It's it's hard to say no. Uh, I think we've all had visions of what that could look like, but for it to be there, the the very beginning, the early stages of this new mobility revolution is, is exciting. And uh, investors would love to be able to, to be a part of that, that beginning journey. But they've also seen the trickle-down effect of what motorsport has delivered to the to the to the automotive industry as well. If we just have a, at a glance, what revision mirrors, seatbelts, disc brakes, ABS—that's that's all automotive tech that's now trickled to the mainstream market. So if you can be there the very early uh, early days of developing some of that critical technology, both in performance and safety, that can help this new. Uh, urban mobility market take off um, that's an attractive solution as well yeah sure so okay are you able to talk a bit more about the categories of investors that you, that you have here absolutely so we're we're still quite an early stage uh, venture and uh, we've taken on a couple of vcs uh, or venture um, catalyst companies into the into the group into the investment rounds and the interest is very much in technology uh, they're interested in new mobility they're interested in what is going to redefine the cities of the future uh, in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, but we've also got some backers that have come from the sports world and have seen enough of those milestones I mentioned before where we've got an audience, we've got sponsors, we've got teams and locations lined up that they can see the core elements of a, of a, of a real motorsport start to take place. And uh, with their help, we can, we can invest further to be able to, to make that happen. Great. And obviously, key to success here is going to be how you attract and engage with your audience. Could you talk to us a bit about that? When you have the opportunity to be able to build a sport like fly car racing, you don't want to go down the trodden path. Yes, there are elements from traditional motorsports that we want to take across. Uh, the excitement of that pit stop, that, that close combat multi-vehicle circuit racing, yes, but we can do it in a new way as well. So we're trying to incorporate tons of elements of augmented reality and virtual reality, both in the sport and from a broadcast element. So our vehicles aren't racing over tracks uh, on the ground. They're not racing over tarmac uh, in, in remote locations. They're racing through digital augmented reality gates. So we have no impact in the environment, but then we can also take that really exciting course design and uh, a broadcast element to, to audiences as well. In terms of engagement, we're playing with things like 360 cams in the vehicles. So you can actually imagine yourself as a pilot in one of these airspeeders and racing in these, these beautiful locations. But it also is also a sport that's been designed for broadcast. Now, safety is a really key element for us. We're not going to go straight into mass live audiences uh, watching these races. It's uh, designed for streaming. It's designed for audiences that can uh, can engage with this on their terms as well. So, yeah, in terms of the design for the sport, we we factored all that in as kind of revenue streams that we thought were, were critical. Uh, and really for us as a new sport, it's about kind of growing that audience base as far and wide as possible to get people engaging with this new sport in ways they've never engaged with sport previously. And you're going to have a lot of competition, I guess, so different sports and different sort of media that people are, are interested in these days. Do you think there's really space for a new sport? Yeah, I, I, I like this question. Is there space for a new sport? Because I, I always think there is space for a new sport uh, in the same way that uh, we often get looked at television and say, is there space for more content to be able to come out? Of course there is. Um, I think for us, there's a beachhead here in uh, the Exit series, in our Uncrewed series, and we can grow that and then expand again with Airspeeder, the, the Crude or the Man series. 
uh, as well. So we've got two series uh, in under Airspeeder that we can bring out. Can we can we nuzzle out some of the other, the space for the other motorsports? Certainly. Um, but it's also about how does audience engage with this content? I think there's only finite space for traditional TV broadcasts, but as audiences are starting to starting to engage with content on their own terms and when and where they want to do it, uh, I think that space is now uh, opened up a lot more. Also, I think sports should be relevant, uh, especially in the motorsport space. And for us, there this is a motorsport that's at the backdrop of a mobility revolution that's already underway. There are 700 flying car companies out there, most of them building taxis and, and cargo. But where did the motorsport arm of it? And um, as we said, motorsport drives tech, drives acceleration, drives interest and public acceptance. And therefore, as a sport, not only does the industry want us to happen, but I think audiences will want to learn about this, uh, about this technology as well. I think you made the point that it's very difficult not to be excited about flying cars, which I think I agree with. Um, and, and all of this is very positive, but there must have been a lot of challenges for you along the way. So could you talk about some of those challenges, the, the challenges you faced, and then how you've overcome them? Yeah, I think when you first tell somebody that you're trying to build a flying car race series, um, you get one of two responses. They either, either laugh at you uh, or they laugh at you and say, tell me more. I want to know what's what's what this is about. And over time, uh, we, we start back in 2016, but over time, we've seen this market really start to bloom. Um, there's now over 700 fly car companies, but there's also big names that are also in this industry. So companies like Toyota have already invested a billion dollars into Joby, one of the leading uh, flying taxi um, manufacturers. We've got the CEO of Hyundai recently stating that by 2030, uh, we'll have flying cars, Hyundai flying cars over Seoul, over London, and it's already put $1.6 billion behind that as well. But other major automotive companies like Aston, Porsche, Daimler, uh, they're all investing into, into this new mobility uh, revolution. So we've had the advantage of being a, an early mover, but having the market quickly start to come behind us and show large amounts of investment in this this sector and as the motorsport arm of that sector, we've been able to kind of rise in that tide as well. So that's been a, a really nice uh, challenge for us, but also a nice uh, a nice bonus that the industry has been starting to grow. Other challenges uh, when it comes to, to talent, we have to take the best of both aerospace world, we have to take the best of the sports world, we have to take the best of the motorsports world, and fusing that all together is is tough, especially when you pan it across uh, the UK and the Australian markets with the horrible time zone in between. That's That's never easy either. And because this is so new, there is no market for this. I think funding is, is definitely difficult. Uh, it, was, it was hard in the early days um, to be able to show this vision with those limited milestones that we had. But uh, I'm a big believer in, uh, in, in sticking, sticking to it. And the longer you're around, the more people recognize the, the large amounts of progress you've been able to make. And, uh, and over time, not only has this market matured, but the vision has started to Crystallize, and we've been able to show um, audiences that this new technology is possible, this sport is possible, and uh, and that this sport is inevitable. Um, and so slowly those challenges can be overcome. You mentioned some kind of challenges, I guess, around safety and, and that safety is paramount for you. So the, the issue of sort of moving from drones to piloted vehicles, how do you do that and what are the challenges that that presents? In some ways, uh, 
unpiloted or uncrewed vehicles are a lot more difficult than crewed vehicles. Uh, would have been a better, if not a more logical step for us to go straight from our subscale into the crewed vehicles. But um, we've decided to go down the route of, of drones or at least uncrewed um, speeders because that allows us to be able to flush out a lot of the bugs that relate to the vehicle and to the systems that uphold the vehicle as well. Uh, and it allows us to crash safely while also having an exciting and uh, dynamic race series coming out the other side. Uh, we will or are about to start embarking on some of the crew flights this year and Airspeeder as a series will be a crewed racing series. Uh, but underneath it, Exasteries, standing for external aviator, means that we can have a lot of fun, develop the tech, develop the pilots as well as they progress into airspeeder, like a Formula 2 into Formula 1, um, and allows us to, to kind of accelerate the development in a, uh, in a safer, safer environment. And have you experienced any major crashes or collisions so far? Absolutely. <laughs> it wouldn't be a race series uh, if we haven't. No, crashing is part and parcel of, of what we do. Um, we need to be able to push these vehicles to their limit. And uh, if we're not doing that, then we're not really learning. And yeah, there's been uh, some crashes that we've, we've encountered in the development of the vehicles, uh, mostly in Australia in remote locations and some famously not remote locations, but we've, we've learned to increase our, our safety standards, uh, the engineering behind it as well. Uh, and uh, really, pushing into remote racing and unpiloted racing as the way to be able to develop this technology safely. Great. And then um, final question or penultimate question, how do you actually deal with the global expansion element of this? You've, you've talked about sort of racing in Australia, but how do you deal with the global expansion of the sport um, if things go to plan? And what are the regulatory challenges that could be associated with that? So the big regulatory challenges we have are aviation-based. Um, so at the moment in Australia, we operate under CASA, uh, which is Australia's aviation uh, body. Uh, and luckily, it's uh, quite a, a developed and rigorous um, uh, body in place and standards that we have to apply to or adhere to to be able to, to take globally. So there's different bodies around the world, IASA, FAA, and uh, a few others, but largely they're the two primary um, aviation bodies that we need to, to adhere to. When it comes to vehicle development, we actually operate under an experimental class, which gives us freedom to be able to iterate the technology, uh, to change it, to have that motorsport mentality so that we can evolve it, so that we're not building vehicles that have take five years to design and five years to build and and, and live for, for 10 years. No, that's that's planes. This is motorsport. So we are, we're lucky to have the experimental license or experimental class certification to be able to um, to be able to constantly update those vehicles. Now that experimental class um, certification is recognized internationally. And so a lot of what we've been developing both as uh, a vehicle and as a air show in Australia can transport across to those global markets quite well. Um, but it is very much a part of the roadmap is um, talking to those bodies ahead of entering those markets. Fantastic. And, and what's the future for Airspeeder? Short-term future, uh, we're going to see the X-Series races um, starting to be broadcast out from 2023. We've already done uh, another test races behind closed doors, um, but it's time to be able to show the audience this, this awesome new sport. So uh, that's going to start from, from next year. We'll have our first teams um, to be announced as well. 
they are coming across as set as almost as national teams, which is pretty exciting. So some some big names to, to look out for. But it's also going to be a global series. Uh, so while our first race will be in Australia, there's uh, opportunities in the US and the Middle East as well for us to to announce. That's the short term. Uh, we've also got some crude flights happening in the background uh, as we start working on our other programs, the Mark IV and the Mark V programs, respectively. In the long term, uh, I think anything is possible with this sport. It's so new, it's so fresh, so digitally enabled that I wouldn't rule out opportunities or worlds where we have a grid of 20 speeders racing over augmented reality gates in beautiful locations around the world. And at the same time, having a digital race series racing those physical vehicles, almost like a ghost in, uh, in, if you're familiar with any motorsport game. Uh, and they could almost have a real-world impact where physical and digital are starting to collide. Well, thanks, Jack. That was genuinely fascinating. Um, I feel like we probably only just scratched the surface. And I look forward to seeing the various announcements coming out and the race series developing, the technology developing. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of The Business Behind Sport, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen. Just search for Ankura. You can follow all our latest insights and find out how we are supporting clients to reduce risk and protect business value by visiting ankura.com.